Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Encouraging you to live as an ambassador of God's kingdom in the world. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. So uh, on Twitter this morning, a, uh, a a former guest on the show asked me to spread the word about something, and I delight I was delighted to do that. And I thought to myself, you know what? That's who I am, and that's what I do. I am a word spreader. I spread the word. That's what I do. That's who I am. So you know, ask me to spread the word about something, and if it's gospel centric, if it's gospel advancing, I'm probably going to do it. I'm a word spreader. That's what I do, which, of course, led me down a bit of a rabbit trail uh, this morning on this spreading of the word. And so, you know, like everybody, I Google stuff and I thought, I wonder what's out there. I wonder what's just like sort of out there in the Google sphere. I don't even know what to call it anymore. It's, It's more than the Internet. It's more than the World Wide Web because it's all social media dominated and crowdsourced. It, you know, you can get a lot of crazy stuff out there. Well, anyway, there's a website called WikiHow where apparently I'm new to WikiHow, by the way. You can learn to do anything. Like WikiHow is apparently the trusted research and expert knowledge base for doing anything. The how-to source for doing anything. I did not know that, by the way. Uh, and so the crack staff at WikiHow put together something called How to Spread the Word of God. And I thought, well, now that's interesting. I wonder if they are, you know, insiders to this whole spreading the word thing. I wonder what would make their list. Well, here is their 11-point list from WikiHow on how to spread the word of God. Now, if you're a word spreader like I am, spreader of the word, like, right, spread the word, advance the gospel always and in all ways, like if you're a word spreader, you know, does this line up with... uh, what you know to actually work as effective spreading of the word? Or does this fall into the, okay, that's a little bit ridiculous and quite a caricature of what it means to be a Christian. Number one on the list, carry your Bible with you everywhere. Your physical Bible, by the way, because that's what they say. You never know when you're going to want to share God's word with someone. So if your Bible is handy, then you could easily flip it open to certain verses and show the other person exactly what God said, um, whatever it is that they're going through. You can also be a witness by simply studying your Bible on your lunch break and other quiet moments. So that's, you know, visibly letting other people see you with the Word of God open, uh, that that in of itself spreads the Word. Okay, so I'm not arguing that, I'm not suggesting that's a bad idea. But if the whole point of doing it is sort of having this visible Bible with you all the time, then I find the note under item number one, carry your Bible everywhere you go on the WikiHow list of how to share the Word of God or how to spread the Word of God. Well, you know, in order to save space, you could carry a pocket-sized version of the New Testament or simply download a Bible app on your phone, which sort of makes the whole visible witness of carrying your Bible, I don't know, invisible? Okay, The next is wear clothing or jewelry that advertises your faith. 
um, proudly display Bible verses and religious phrases or symbols on your clothing. Wear a T-shirt that says Jesus saves on the front and John 6, 3.16 on the back. No, I'm not kidding. I'm actually reading to you from the list. Decorate with scriptures. Um, put vinyl stickers and uh, on your on on your phone and on your car. All right. Then we finally get to sort of verbal evangelism. Be open about your faith. Share share your faith. Mention your beliefs when it fits into a conversation. I wholeheartedly believe getting God back into the conversations of the day um, is the conversational apologetic approach that I would certainly advocate. Um, and then the next one I really like as well. Um, share faith-based uh, material with others, books, movies, music with your friends and those around you. I think that's helpful. I also think it's really helpful for those of us who are Christians to recognize that there are religious themes in everything. So anyway, uh, WikiHow has a list. I made a list as well. I made my list fairly quickly. It's not going to surprise you. So number one, saturate your life with the Word of God. Be a person in whom the Word of God dwells so that when the world squeezes you, the word comes out. How to spread the word? Abide in Christ, and Christ will abide in you. And that's what will come out of you. He is the very word of God. That's what will come out of you, um, you know, when you're encountering the world. Prepare in prayer for the divine appointments that God has set in advance. Actively yield to the present power of the Holy Spirit to lead and guide you. Um, bolo, be on the lookout and listen with ears that hear. That's heart listening empathetically uh, to others that you might bring the word to God, of God to bear on uh, the challenges that folks are facing. Lead with compassion. Yes, the truth matters and bringing the truth to bear on the issues of the day matters. But Jesus came full of grace and truth. And he is, after all, the word made flesh. So if we're going to spread the word We need to be spreading the fullness of the grace of God and the fullness of the truth of God. Advance the gospel always and in all ways. And yes, when necessary, use words. And then um, I would say this, trust God with the results, right? Spread, spread it, cast the seed, right? Spread it. All right. Uh, Mark Caleb Smith is waiting in the wings. He's a word spreader as well. We'll be right back. Welcoming my word-spreading friend, Mark Caleb Smith. You can find him at Cedarville University. You can also find him at the Bereans at the Gate blog, bereansatthegate.com. Mark, welcome back. Hey, Carmen. How are you doing? I'm well. I'm well. All right. So um, maybe let's start with Afghanistan because it is top of mind for many and most this morning. Um, The president has to decide. The military says the president has to decide today whether or not to push back the United States August 31st deadline that he has set for withdrawal from Afghanistan. I say he has set that. The Taliban now sees that as a red line. Um, Our European uh, allies are absolutely interested in extending that deadline. So I'll just tee up Afghanistan to you uh, as a conversation for the day. Yeah. One of the things that uh, is obvious here, I think, is that President Biden has encountered his first real crisis as president. And it's interesting how so much goodwill and influence and power can just be drained away from the president because of something happening. 
Uh, you know, often though, when we talk about these crises, we think of things that the president can't control, right? Things happen and they have, presidents have to react. Well, this is all, you could argue, within the president's power. You know, he made the decision to uh, to do the, the, the pullout this way. He can decide to push that line back and suffer the consequences. Um, so it really is within his ability to make this set of choices. And the buck is going to stop on his desk. And uh, it's got to be a lonely desk at, the, at this particular moment. Um, but the president is also, I think, struggling through this because publicly he's had a difficult time explaining himself. Uh, he's having a hard time dealing with any kind of questions or refusing to deal with questions. Uh, the public relations optics of this just look terrible almost across the board. He's getting condemnation from people within his own party as well as people within the other party. Uh, and so this this has all the recipe uh, for maybe even a term-defining event for President Biden. It's really a remarkable thing we're witnessing. I think there will, uh, there will be entire books written on um, how not to leave, uh, leave a country after you've been there for 20 years. Um, and so we're not going to dice that particular conversation up today because we're still, you know, actively seeking to extract right. people. Um, I do think that the inability not only of President Biden, but the team around him to explain to people what is happening. Um, I think that is adding to the um, not only the challenge that President Biden is facing globally, but the challenge that he's facing right here at home. If someone could just in a very plain spoken way tell people what is happening, what is planned, and how it's going to be fixed, um, you know, people might might trust a little more, but it's just a mess. Well, it's difficult to explain because the words that you use are probably going to be contradicted by the images that we see. Mm. And that's really the hard part of this. You know, the president can say, well, we're getting people out, but we all see images of people struggling uh, to get near the airport. And the president can say, well, we have a secure perimeter, uh, but we all see the difficulty of maintaining that perimeter. Um, so, yeah, I, I agree. I think the president's really struggling for a spokesperson. He doesn't seem able to fill that role on this particular issue at this particular moment. Uh, and no one else has really stepped forward with the confidence uh, to do it either. So, yeah, the president's spinning his wheels on this. And for his sake, you have to hope that it doesn't last much longer. Uh, but it's hard to see this coming to a conclusion anytime soon. Uh, this is, you know, for those of us old enough to remember, to have studied these things, this is, feels an awful lot like uh, the Iran hostage crisis that just dogged Jimmy Carter uh, in his term of office. Uh, this is probably going to be shorter than that, uh, but it's still maybe the kind of thing that President Biden just can't recover from. We'll see. All right. Certainly praying um, this morning for every uh, American and friend of America that wants to leave Afghanistan and is trying to find a way out. At the top of the second hour today, Matthew Sorens from World Relief is going to join us. We are going to talk with him um, about the evacuees from Afghanistan. We're also going to talk with him about what's going on at the southern border. So just want to let folks know that is ahead. Mark, Caleb Smith and I are going to continue our conversation in just a moment. Apparently, the New York Times has finally arrived uh, at the at this thought. It's time to think about God. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. I continue my conversation with Mark Caleb Smith from Cedarville University. 
Um, Mark, you and I would recognize that the gospel uh, comes to bear. God is present in the headlines of the day, just not always pointed out as such. The New York Times has finally apparently arrived at the notion that, hey, it's time to start talking about God, and they have launched a newsletter um, for subscribers. Now, you know, I I recognize that. Um, And I tee this up for conversation because I find... uh, I find it important that we have reached a cultural point where the New York Times is acknowledging the need for people to reconnect with the transcendent. Oh, did we lose him? Is he there? Uh, are, are you back now? I am. Can you? Hey, can okay, you not hear sorry me? Sorry about that. Yeah, I can hear you. Can you hear me okay? Yeah, I can hear you now. Um, okay, so sorry, I don't know what happened. That's all right. We're talking about the need to reconnect yeah, yeah. with God and yeah. and and connect the headlines of the day um, with what God is doing eternally. Yeah, I, it's interesting because uh, the New York Times clearly, just like the rest of our culture, is, is sort of muddling through what's happening right now. Uh, you know, we're suffering through a pandemic. We're suffering through a lot of life-altering events, and I think people are just grappling uh, with how to define it, how to make meaning. Uh, out of their lives at the moment. And, you know, you and I, as believers, we have an answer to this question, right? And we know that God is the ultimate meaning that we're going to, that we're going to grab onto to help us explain reality. Uh, But can you imagine, Carmen, being someone who doesn't have God to explain things, someone who can't figure out what's happening in their lives, who they are, why they're here, what's going on, why events take place, um, that's got to be a really difficult place to be in terms of making sense of things. Uh, and for the New York Times, I think, to start this newsletter and to recognize the importance of the conversation, I, I think it matters. And I think, I think it's potentially uh, very important. And of course, as Christians, we should, be, we should welcome this conversation. Uh, we should be part of it. And so I hope, it's, I hope it's the sign of things to come. Yeah, I do too. So I just uh, we're going to keep an eye on what uh, Tish Harrison Warren, who is yep. the opinion writer for the New York Times, she is an Anglican priest, which I know immediately people are asking all kinds of questions about. Um, but she leads with uh, she leads off saying, you know, in in my church, every uh, every service is opened with the acclamation, "Blessed be God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit." And so, um, yep. let's start there. Let's trust that the conversation is going to be about. Um, pointing out where the where the God line is, where the gospel line is in every story and under every story um, as we watch uh, how that unfolds. Hey, I do want to ask you about this conversation that is, I mean, it's here. I would say it's emerging in the culture, but it's really here. And it's about people taking religious exemptions to the COVID-19 vaccine. Um, because as Work environments and schools increasingly now have vaccine mandates. And now that the Pfizer vaccine has been fully approved by the FDA, like that's no longer an excuse that people can use. And so let's talk a little bit about religious exemptions. What are they and how do they work? So uh, employers in particular uh, are able to offer religious exemptions if they want to uh, when it comes to vaccine mandates. Uh, The federal law. Uh, has some uh, language that certainly gives employers the latitude to do this and to say, you know, we're going to require the vaccine, but if you have a religious exception, 
uh, you think it violates your conscience, and we're going to allow you to file for that exception. Uh, and then we will require you to mask and to be tested regularly, uh, things along those lines. I think, though, that what we're going to run into is the law probably will also give those same employee employers the latitude to deny religious exemptions if they choose to do that. Uh, in other words, the law gives them the ability to make the exemption, but it isn't necessarily going to require them to make the exemption. And as, as, uncomfortable, as uncomfortable as it may be for people to hear, for some people, I think the government's in a similar situation. The government can probably require vaccinations in some situations, offer exemptions if it chooses to, but I'm not sure it's going to be compelled to offer those exemptions. Um, there's a whole lot of messy case law that goes behind some of this, but in a nutshell, if the government has a compelling reason, uh, then it can override religious exemptions in certain situations. And a lot of even very conservative, traditional religious liberty type of uh, scholars uh, look at the situation and say, you know, this is one where the government can make the argument that it has a compelling interest. And so I'm not sure how long those religious exemptions will hold up uh, if employee, employers and the government really wants to uh, operate without them. All right. A reminder, um, you know, good reminder from uh, from Pamela on the text line uh, that we need to be praying for the situation in Afghanistan. Yeah, absolutely, Pamela. We dedicated entire segments at the end of last week and the beginning of this week to praying for the people of Afghanistan and the situation there. We've been praying for service members. We've been praying for provision. We've been praying for um, a God, for God to make a way where there sometimes seems to be no way. And yes, absolutely. We are trusting God. Um, to work out his his will in this circumstance, we also recognize a very real world challenge that we are um, that we and the rest of the world are facing in Afghanistan, and it is a worldview challenge. Um, yep. It's about the view of humanity. It's about the view of history, and it's certainly about the view of God. And so, if there ever were a um, clash of cultures taking place in real time in our lifetime, it is taking place right now, and we're all watching it happen. And so, yeah, Pamela, thank you for the reminder to be praying and asking for God's intervention. We also recognize how much God has placed in the hands of those whom he has entrusted with national and international global leadership, including the president of the United States. Um, so, Mark, we probably don't have time to cover a whole nother big subject matter area today, but what 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 else has your attention right now? Um, you know, maybe as you head back to school or maybe it's something else. What what should we be paying attention to that we may that we may have missed while we were watching other things? Yeah, I don't know. I don't think anyone has missed it, uh, but certainly occupying my attention right now uh, is welcoming students back to campus here at Cedarville and uh, dealing with all of the ripple effects of covid uh, within an educational setting. And so we, uh, you know, we're dealing with students. Some of them are being isolated. Some of them are being quarantined. Uh, that creates a whole set of uh, strains on a learning environment, and it complicates life for us as teachers and for them as students. And, uh, you know, in some ways, we were all looking forward to a fall uh, that was going to be better and different. And I think that it is better so far, and it's different than last year, but it, there's still an awful lot of similarities as well. So, I think Cedarville is handling about as well as it can possibly be handled, uh, but COVID is still here. Uh, it isn't going away at the moment, <clears throat> and you know, I, as a professor, I'd like for it to go away right now. 
<laughs> and I'm sure that's where all of us are. But uh, it just—it's—it's it's such an interesting wrinkle to throw into a classroom. It just complicates everything for all of us, and so uh, that's what we're dealing with. But uh, you were also moving forward by the grace of God, and we have great students, and uh, uh, we're meeting those challenges as we find them. All right. Well, apparently, um, the new timeline for COVID um, is is longer than any of us. Uh, yeah. would would want to hear it sounds like uh dr fauci is now saying um that you know it's going to be well into 2022 um before we see uh, before we see the end of this so um that's that's not hopeful but but you know it's not where our hope rests either so um that's exactly right yeah mark thank you blessings uh, on the opening of a new school year blessings on you as a professor and upon the students who Gather therein. That's Mark Caleb Smith at Cedarville University. You can also find him at the Bereans at the Gate blog. Uh, Mark, we'll uh, we look forward to talking with you the next time. Thanks, Carmen. You take care, and thanks to all your listeners. All right, we're gonna uh, take a break. You're gonna hear Greg Laurie in Knowing God. All right, what's going on at colleges and universities across the country? And, you know, how are, uh, how are students being influenced and affected by Christians who are bringing the witness of Christ to bear on that academic environment and experience? We're going to talk with Drew Trotter. He is from the Consortium of Christian Study Centers. And we're going to talk about, um, well, frankly, all things higher ed. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Look back at previous generations and you'll see people who worked hard to meet their basic needs. Fast forward to today's teens and you find almost the exact opposite. Hi, I'm Mark Gregston with Parenting Today's Teens. Generally speaking, today's generation of young adults are some of the most entitled and irresponsible people on the planet. They stay immature long into their 20s and they basically refuse to grow up. Well, as long as parents are willing to serve everything up on a silver platter for their kid, they unintentionally postpone the development of their teen. Are you looking to infuse some independence and maturity? Try holding back on a few things and let your children stretch their muscles to fulfill their own desires. Want more parenting help from Mark Gregston? Find helpful resources at parentingtodaysteens.org or search for Parenting Today's Teens in your favorite app store. All right, good reminder um, from Pamela uh, on the text line this morning, which just reminds me, you can text me anytime, 877-933-2484. Good reminder um, to actually stop and pray this morning for the president. So we are reminded in 1 Timothy 2 that we are to pray and give thanks for all those in authority. And so let's, um, let's pause and do that right now. Father, we do pray today. For President Joe Biden. We pray for the decisions that are before him. We pray for your Holy Spirit to guide and direct him. We pray that he would yield to you. We pray that you would silence every voice but your own. We pray that you would lead him to do the right thing at the right time, in the right way, and that we would trust you with the outcome. Father, we pray for all those in authority over us, that you would grant them the grace and the strength to Stand against the temptation to 
use their power rather than to serve you reverently with it. We pray for our country. We ask for your presence. We ask for your mercy. We ask for your guidance. And we ask that your people would submit to you moment by moment. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, uh, friends in the Hartford area checking in with their rain gauges this morning. Uh, 5.5 inches over two days from Jim. Thank you uh, so much for checking in uh, on that. And for those of you now in the path of some tremendous storms in the upper Midwest of the U.S., we've been praying for you as well. Drew Trotter now joins us, senior scholar at and for and with the Consortium of Christian Study Centers. You can find what we're talking about today at studycentersonline.org. Drew, welcome to Mornings with Carmen. Thank you, Carmen. Good to be here. Well, it's great to have you. All right. First of all, just lay out for folks what um, what is or are the Consortium of Christian Study Centers? Well, there's, um, there's a wonderful book that tells about it called To Think Christianly, uh, Labrie Regent College and the Christian Study Center Movement. Um, study centers started about 50 years ago uh, here in Charlottesville. Uh, to be institutions alongside secular universities to offer a Christian voice in the um, discussion at the university and to offer hospitality to Christian students and any other students who would like to come and hang out and get answers to some of the big questions that um, the university often is not asking. So these have multiplied over the years. They're now we started with four uh, when we formed the consortium to try to jumpstart this movement. There were four study centers in the in the country that were members, and now there are 34. Um, so we're very excited about this um, rapid growth in the last 10 years of these places that, again, are alongside secular universities in order to be friends with the university, but to enter into dialogue with it. It's so great. It's, um, uh, you know, as a person who went to a secular university as an undergrad and found, you know, found a Christian community with whom I could think Christianly alongside what I was hearing each and every day um, in the university mm. classroom, that was just super helpful to me, and it was a great gift. Um, and so I, I love that this is happening, and we want people to avail themselves of this resource, study centers online.org that's where you're going to find the uh, consortium of christian study centers let me this let me just ask a question about your observations about what's happening in higher ed and maybe the trends you're seeing the conversations that you are having with students now that maybe we weren't having 50 years ago or we were having in a different way so just kind of the overtime conversation of your observations of how things have changed and where we are now well it's funny because the um the more things change, the more they stay the same uh, is is really true. For, for 150 years in this country, um, there has been a move towards giving up a concept that there is actually an objective truth um, to humanity that um, that is true whether you like it or not. And uh, in fact, that truth has characteristics of absoluteness, that it is uh, never wrong, 
and of consistency. None of that is believed anymore on the college campus, and it hasn't been for many, 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 many years. But what that's now generated in the present age that is um, not totally different, but is clearly different in terms of the issues, is that elements that used to be considered true, whether you liked it or not, that if you're a male, you're a male, if you're a female, you're a female, um, that sort of thing are just given up now. And they're recreating reality or trying to recreate reality in our society generally. Well, this happens even more deeply and more and often first on the secular university campus so that it's an extremely difficult place to be now for Christians um, who want to argue something else because even our speech about that, even the possibility of dialogue about it is being challenged, it's regularly being um, shot down in the courts, which I am grateful for. Uh, there have been good um, judgments in favor of Christian speech and in favor of Christian organizations on secular campuses anyway, um, choosing their own leadership according to doctrinal standards and things like that. But generally speaking in the culture, in terms of what you see in the news media and in, and even uh, what you hear coming from the vast majority of, and, and it really is the clear majority, while there's a strong Christian um, underclass uh, of uh, professors on secular university campuses, most of them are secular because they are secular universities and the faculty you know, have these values that don't descend from any real notion of objective truth. All right. When we talk about um, relativism, that's the conversation that you are that you're teeing up for us there. I, I also think right. it's really important to note that although the courts, you know, like, you know, if my case does make it all the way to, you know, a, a place where the court is ruling on whether or not I am free to speak the truth uh, in in public and in a public university space or a secular university space, the court is going to affirm that, no doubt about it. Um, the Constitution guarantees it. The courts affirm it. I think the challenge is um, there's just a whole lot of people out there who aren't going to go through that process. They're just going to yield to the power of the cancel culture. That pressure is very great, and it's ex it's extremely weighty. Um, on university campuses where we are, you know, sending very young, um, young people who are Christians who just can't withstand that pressure. And so finding Christian community and finding others to to stand with and who will stand with you and help you cultivate um, your convictions in that environment is just really essential. And that's what you guys are doing. Absolutely right. We we have. Um... Most of the, the Christian study centers, of course, the very young and, and very poor movement in a lot of ways, most of them do have their own buildings, however, and these are places where students can go and hang out and get answers to questions. And Christian or non-Christian, of course, anybody can come in. That's really important. We want unbelievers and people of all kinds of every different view of their gender, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, to come into our study centers and feel uh, cared for, feel listened to. Big believers in, in James chapter one, be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to get angry. Um, 
but they, those are our buildings and they are owned by us and they are um, done by us and we're not <clears throat> dependent on the university facilities to have our meetings and to do what we want to do. Um, so there's there's a tremendous benefit to the study centers there as opposed to other you know campus ministries which are simply um, placeless. They, they don't have an embodied presence on the on the um, college campus like Christian study centers do. All right, we're going to continue our conversation with Drew Trotter in just a moment. You can find what we're talking about today at studycentersonline.org. We'll be right back. All right, continuing our conversation with Drew Trotter from the Christian Studies Centers. Um, Drew, I'm curious just to just to know your take on your reaction to how you're processing kind of the back and forth. It's a bit of a whiplash that we experience, you know, when administrations change at the highest level here in the United States of America. That means that the U.S. Department of Education leadership changes and sometimes the guidance of the Department of Education changes. Certainly the relationship um, with student groups on college campuses changes. We've, um, we have talked recently with representatives from InterVarsity Press about the challenges that their on-campus groups have faced. Um, and we have this Secular Student Alliance versus the U.S. Department of Education, a, uh, a case that was filed on the very last day of the Trump administration. And we certainly have in the Biden administration um, people who are advocating that no student group on campus that wants to uphold or wants to see their religious convictions upheld, um, if that is in any way considered, quote unquote, discriminatory toward um, toward others, you know, we're just talk with us about what's happening and the environment um, of Christian groups on college campuses, recognizing that what you're doing is just off campus. Yeah, it's it's a tremendous problem, Carmen. Um, there is uh, an element that goes along with what you're talking about that uh, we're finding more and more problematic nowadays, and that that element is administrations of universities who um, feel like the the student council pronunciations or what the student council rules on needs to be upheld at all costs, even if what the student council rules is anti-constitutional. And so we know of groups that have been tossed off, denied their student group status, which means despite the fact that we have our own buildings, as I mentioned earlier, sometimes you want a larger event that you don't have a 500-seat auditorium for um, on, you know, and you need to be able to use campus facilities and stuff like any other student group would. And they're being denied by student councils um, on the basis of everything from gender to religion to whatever. Um, and uh, you, you have to fight with that. And the administration is going to support that student council thing, no matter what it is saying. So it's a it's a really difficult problem right now that just gets seems to get stronger and stronger and, and worse and worse. While what usually happens is you enter into a process, they realize they can't do that according to the Constitution, and um, there there is nothing in the Constitution that says we need to be free from religion, 
It's, uh, it's that we need to have the freedom of religion to be able to practice what we do on state property and on, and that the state needs to support all religions. I agree with, I understand that and accept that. Um, be just as fair to the Buddhists as you are to the Christians, but frankly, to be fair to the Christians uh, is our concern. And so um, it usually happens that way, but it takes a, takes a while. But it's, it's, it's a matter of a difference between the political and legal, at this point anyway, and the cultural and the sort of image base. And here you get into a whole conversation about the power of social media and how um, things can be made to look horrible and can create huge rumors and problems and difficulties that are just not true um, to be able to, to come back to a state of being able to be taken seriously on the college campus in your conversations. So it's, it's tough. Um, faculty member that you're talking to, um, here's one of the students say that, that they know that this place does X and they found that out from somebody's Facebook post, which was totally untrue. And that faculty member hasn't done his research and is immediately against you when you start to talk to them in a friendly manner, desiring a conversation. So it, it just has created a, a very difficult tension on, on college campuses for what we're trying to do, which again is to be a faithful presence in the midst of what we know to be a, a relatively hostile situation, or at least uh, um, you know, a situation in which no sides are supposed to have been taken. So it's, it's tough. Yeah, and that question um, about who is in leadership and who has the power, increasingly it is the students who know how to use social media um, and who are able to wield words that more mature generations think mean one thing, but those words now mean something else. And, you know, I am familiar with uh, with adults who have supported students because they thought that what those students were advocating was something similar to what they were advocating in the 60s when they were looking for, you know, for real free speech. And that's not the, the justice, uh, the justice language of the day or the yeah. um, equality language of the day or the diversity language of the day. Those words mean very different things today, particularly in the mouths um, or on the social media platforms of college students in particular environments advocating for particular agendas. And you really have to know how the words are being used and what the words are being used for before you can say, yes, I agree or I disagree with that group of people on this particular point on this particular day. So it's um, it's really challenging. Absolutely true. And all that what that says to me as a Christian is don't make your judgments too quickly. You need to engage in conversation. You need to get to the depths of, well, what did you mean by that? And what what do you mean by the word justice? What do you think justice actually means? Or what do you think the phrase white supremacy means? Um, what do you think um, some other phrase or, or word actually means? And you have to talk to be able to get to the root of what you're even saying because the meanings of these words change so quickly. And like you said, new generations do that to language all the time anyway. Um, so the more 
the more public the statements of um, young people, of students get, the, the more problematic that becomes for really finding out definitions of what you're talking about. Yeah, I ended up in an argument um, because I used the phrase liberal arts. And I, 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 oh, meant, oh. I meant what I meant by that. I, I meant the, what it means historically. And man, I got, I got roasted um, because that word doesn't mean what it used to mean in the hearts and minds of a lot of people. And, um, you know, so I'm probably classically liberal. And when I say that out loud today in an environment where liberal and conservative mean these entrenched positions um, politically, then you miss the opportunity to say, no, I really do think people are allowed to hold the beliefs that they have. And I want those beliefs to come into conversation with one another in the public square. And I want to be able to bring my Christian convictions forward in that conversation. And that requires a liberal environment, like a an environment that is open to the ideas of everyone coming and sharing those ideas with one another and then allowing the best idea to win. And guess what? I actually know I have the best idea because, you know, I mean, I know mine's true. So I'm not worried about mine being defeated in public. Like, And so but that's not where we are today um, in terms of people's understanding of even the terms. So I love what you're doing. It's really, really helpful. Um, I hope you'll come back and talk with us again. Anytime, anytime. Really, I really love to talk about these sorts of things. Pray for us. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Consistently um, in an ongoing way. All right. That's Dr. Andrew Trotter goes by Drew Trotter. He's a senior scholar at the Consortium of Christian Study Centers. You can find him at studycentersonline.org. We'll be right back. All right. There are um, lots of things going on in the nation, in the world. My guess is top of the news for you today is what's going on right there around you in your own part of the world. And so let me ask God's blessing upon you that you would acknowledge and recognize his presence, his power, his grace, his mercy, which is new every morning, his love for you. He knows your name. He knows where you are. He knows the challenges you're going to face this day. He stands ready. He stands ready. Um, Do you stand ready to turn to him? Can you turn to him? Can you give it to God? Can you acknowledge his sovereignty and his provision and his grace? I do. I hope you do as well. We've got another hour of Mornings with Carmen up next. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.